So that was really encouraging, I'm sure, right? Uh, I'm, waiting, I'm still waiting for somebody to make me a uh, pillow with all of the sayings from James on it. Um, so we're picking up. I know we took a week off last week, and then the week before that we had Pastor Gary, so we're picking back up on James chapter 5. And believe it or not, we're in the final chapter of James. We have made it successfully almost all the way through. And I promise it's, it's a tough one today, but it gets better. It gets encouraging here towards the end of the letter. And... Um, I, uh, we're going from the last uh, section that we did was uh, really focused on the arrogance of people planning out their future and sort of having their path kind of ready and guided for them and not listening to God, sort of making their own plans and how God kind of laughs at us when we make those plans. He kind of thinks like, oh, that's adorable and cute that you think that you'll know what's going to happen in the next year or, or couple years, but that there's so much uncertainty in our world and that we need to be able to be flexible to God's calling no matter what it is, Right. And so he continues that thought on into this section where he's talking to rich people. Now, you're asking the question, he, he refers specifically to, um, oh, it's here, I promise, specifically to you rich people, okay? And so we need to stop and ask the question, who is he talking to? And there are some things going on in the church that um, cause some issues, right? This isn't the first time James has talked about this in this letter to the church, it's an issue. Something is, an, is a problem for them. Now, this was supposed to be kind of in wide circulation to most of the Christians living, um, you know, scattered all over the place, right? So it wasn't a specific issue for a specific church. Sometimes when we read things in Scripture, Paul, a lot of times, is talking to a specific church about a specific problem, and he's saying, hey, this one person, you should do something about this, right? In this case, James is, is saying this as a kind of a, a widespread warning to the church in general, and then earlier on, right, he talked about the fact that the church had some of their, um, some of their ways of handling people out of whack. So he, they were essentially putting uh, poor people on the floor or in the back, you know, people who had one, one garment. Remember we talked about they had just one thing to wear, so generally they were like, you could smell the poor person or you could see the poor person, and they were putting them in the back or on the floor, giving them a, not a great seat. And anyone who would walk in with their fine linen on and their gold chains, Right? That person would get the front row, the best seat in the house. They would be honored among everyone. They would be escorted up to the front. Now, I know today it's different because nobody wants to sit in the front, right? So you'd be like, good, I'm glad I'm not rich because I like sitting in the back row, right? Uh, those are generally the seats that fill up first. Okay, so the rich people would have had those seats, just so you know. Um, it was a problem for the church that they were essentially uh, elevating the wrong type of people. Just because they were rich, they were saying, well, there must be something better about them or must be something special about them. Maybe God is blessing them differently. You know, that sounds a little bit irrelevant, but it's actually very relevant to us as a church, to nowadays, to a couple thousand years later. Churches still do this all the time. You know, you pick an elder board, and what do you do? You go find a successful business person who looks great on the outside, and they have, you know, uh, plenty of money, and they've started giving to the church at a, at a high rate, which you never know what percentage that is for somebody, but somebody, somewhere, the treasurer or somebody goes, hey, this guy is somebody we should put on our elder board. And so they go and they find a rich person who they want to keep giving to the church. And they want to get them involved. And so they put him in charge of things. And in general, we sometimes mix up uh, worldly success for spiritual maturity. Okay, these two things do not always go together. Now, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. We don't want to all of a sudden swing the pendulum to the other side and say, well, if you're rich, that doesn't mean that you're spiritually mature. Or if you're rich, you are spiritually mature. 
We need to look at each person's spiritual maturity and their relationship with Jesus and take them on their own merits, right? I have a friend who runs a huge plumbing business in the area, and he looks like just an everyday plumber. When he shows up at your house, you don't know. His shirt just has his name on it, but his name's on the truck. You don't necessarily know that he's the guy showing up to your house to do it. And he, as he goes, looks for people in the trades, right, who are dealing with addiction, who are like lonely, who are lost, and he invites those people into a Bible study that he leads where he deals with people who are ex-cons, addic- have addiction problems, and he guides those people, disciples those people out of those issues and then into regular churches. There is a successful person who on the outside is very successful in the eyes of the world. He's rich. He has his own company. He has tons of employees working for him. He's doing really well, but he's also leveraging everything he has to serve God's kingdom. He gave us a nice big gift when we opened our church. He would never want anyone to know who he was. Okay, sometimes success in the world in spiritual maturity go together. Other times success in the world and spiritual maturity are like opposite. Sometimes people make money in ways that, is, that are unjust. They take advantage of other people. They play the system. They cut corners. They find ways to become rich it doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. And the problem in the church that James is talking to is that they were mixing these two things up. They were saying, well, just because you're rich and you got a lot of chains on and you got a nice garment on and, you know, you come in and you sit in the front and everybody seems to respect you, then you must be spiritually mature and we're going to put you in charge of the church. It's a really bad idea. Okay, so he's specifically speaking to this problem, which is a problem 2,000 years ago. It's still a problem today. And here's what he references earlier on in James Uh, Chapter 2, he says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in, and you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you. But to the poor man, you you say, Stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? And he basically says, look, when you come into a church, it should just be like an even playing field. We should not be looking at the externalities that we see in people's lives. We should be judging each person as a brother or sister in Christ based on the fruit that their life is producing. That in fact, we, we, mis- we mistake this. We say, you know, we shouldn't judge anyone, right? Jesus tells us, right? Don't, don't point out the speck in someone's eye when you have a log sticking out of your face, right? But, but then later on, we find out when we're in community with other believers that actually we should judge each other and push each other and encourage each other. Hi, Macy. How you doing? Daddy. Yeah, hi. Can you, hi. Can you, go, can you go sit down? Thanks. All right, love you, baby. <laughs> oh, man, I was doing something. Okay. <laughs> Everybody who walks in our church should be seen the same way. There should be no externalities that we look at. We should be asking, what is the heart of this person? What does their relationship with Jesus look like? What kind of difference are they making in the world with the people that live around them? Like, are they reaching out in God's name to affect this world? What are they doing? When we look for leaders in our church, we're looking for servants. I'm, look, I'm interested, you know, in the people who show up early to set up chairs. I'm interested in the people who go last in the potluck line. That's a dicey one. You, 
you don't probably want what's left at the end of the potluck, right? I'm looking for people who give out of their own pocket to other people who are struggling. I'm looking for people who understand the concept that this is a big family and that if they have something, the reason that they have that is to bless other people. That's the kind of leaders that we're looking for in this church. And James is fighting what is going on in that church. And guess what? That was 2,000 years ago. That can still be part of what happens in churches today. We have to fight against that concept. Just because you're a success in the world's eyes does not mean you're spiritually mature enough to lead in our church. We're looking for servants. We're looking for people to leverage everything they have for the kingdom. We're looking for people to make the difference in the lives of people who put themselves last. That's what it looks like to be a servant in the kingdom where the king gave himself up for every person who didn't deserve it. Right? That's what it looks like. And so as he starts the, the passage, he starts in a way that uh, is just so brutal here. I mean, it's, it's so in your face. It's very prophet-esque. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll see the uh, Old Testament prophets, you know, Amos and Micah and, you know, just all littered throughout there is essentially a, a warning to the people of Israel and judgment that's being thrown on them by prophets who are calling them out for not living the way that God wants them to live. I mean, it's just all throughout the prophetic. And James is essentially doing the same thing in a new way for the church. He's saying, I will be the prophet. I will stand up and give you the tough word, and I will challenge you to do the right thing, even if it doesn't make me the most popular person in the world. Right? We talked about the idea that James was, was martyred by being thrown off of the top of the temple and then stoned to death because he survived the fall. Like, people didn't love this guy because he was a prophet. He stood up and said the truth. Okay, and this is a tough truth, but we need to listen because he says, now listen, you rich people. And you're like, whew, good thing, not rich. No, you are, all of us, every one of us in this room are rich. And we are the top 1% in the world, period. Even if we are on pretty much all government assistance, we're still in the top 1% in the, in the world. We have more in our hands than most people in the world will have. If you ever go on a mission trip to another place, you walk in, you leave there. Like I've gone many times with teenagers. They come home and throw out all their shoes. They come home and clear out their closets because they realize I have way too much stuff. I'm actually very wealthy in the eyes of the world, and I don't need all this stuff. Okay? We need to take this as a warning to us. Even if we feel like we're not rich, we need to take this as a warning. This is James saying, be careful. Right? If you're someone who has a lot, there's a lot expected of you. And so he starts off by saying, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. He's like, look, do nothing and receive judgment. That's what it, that's what it looks like. Weep and wail. Take seriously the predicament that you are in. You are, you are basically um, given a lot and ex- a lot is expected of you. He's, he goes on, he says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I, 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 please, someone please post this on Facebook this week, okay? He essentially paints a picture of someone standing in front of, of God at the, in the end times and their wealth, the things that they own, the things that they have, are testifying against them saying this is a person who is deserving of hell. That's the picture that he gives us. I I know that's super intense. 
But he's, he's going out of his way to make a point here. He's, he's, uh, he's exaggerating it to make sure that his people are actually listening to the warning. Pay attention. You can become completely uh, caught up in the things around you, the things that you own can own you. The things that you own can become your God. The things that you want in this life, the things that you're chasing, can become the mission that you have as opposed to the mission that God has given you. These things can get out of whack so easily. And we, we talk all the time about it being awkward in church when somebody brings up money. Well, you should know that it would be awkward. If you feel like it's awkward in church when the pastor starts to talk about money, you should know that following Jesus would have been the most awkward thing that you could have possibly done 2,000 years ago. Jesus talked about money almost more than almost anything else. We get this idea that all Jesus talked about was grace and love, and he did, and he flipped the religious system on its head, but he talked about money all the time. He talked about your worldly possessions. He talked about your priorities in life. Those were things that came out of his teaching all the time. And so we have to lean in and talk about things like this on a regular basis. Now, I get it. Sometimes you go to a church and you feel like all they want is your money. I don't want, we don't want any of your money. We have plenty of amazing people here who are giving at a sacrificial rate. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to come in and feel comfortable that this is your church and there's no expectations put on you. We want you to hear the gospel. We want you to respond to what Jesus is doing. You know what? It's okay to be here as long as you want while you're figuring stuff out. We want you to feel comfortable in this place. But we're going to lean into money because it talks about our priorities. It shows us sometimes what is most important to us. You think about that pile of all the stuff that you own testifying against you in the end times. That is a scary thought. You think about what would be in that pile of stuff and what that could have done for the kingdom of God. And I have a pastor friend. He, um, he was telling me a story and he, he said, we got to a point where we were doing this campaign to build a new building. And we wanted to raise like $3 million to build this building. It was actually a pretty inexpensive uh, project given what they were going to get out of it. And he said he went to his church and he, and he basically asked them to make a commitment to their building campaign. And they needed about $3 million. And he said $750,000 came in. And he was like, man, I feel like a failure. I guess I didn't tell them the right vision or just share with people. Or maybe our people just don't have any, anything. And so he said he went home. And he's, like, and he's like, I just didn't know what to do. And I was just asking Jesus, like, what should I be doing? Maybe I'm asking for the wrong thing. Maybe I'm not hearing your voice. Maybe I'm not listening correctly. And he said he went home and he put up his boat on Craigslist. He put up his motorcycle on Craigslist. He put his jet ski up on Craigslist. I'm like, you're a pastor? You got all that stuff? Like, <laughs> I was like, I want to live on a lake with a jet ski, right? He put up uh, one of his cars. He literally sold everything that he could come up with. And the next week, showed up back in front of his church and said, hey, I was able to raise like 40 grand this week. Here's what I've done because I felt like God was moving me to do that. And you know what happened in their church? People just started selling all their stuff. Kids were selling their toys in their front yard. Church is built. I've been to it. It's amazing. Paid in cash. Right? I think oftentimes what we say is most important to us when push comes to shove, if it's a connection of giving that thing up for the kingdom or keeping that thing, we're in this tension. We're in this tension of what we're supposed to do. And, and James, he says, um, well, Jesus talks about this. He says, don't store for yourselves treasures on heaven where moth and rust destroy, but store up yourselves uh, things in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Paul talks about it. Look at what Paul says. Uh, Paul says this in First, First Timothy. He says, but godliness 
with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with what we have. He's, he's saying, like, it's enough for us to just be content with the things that God has given us. He said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. It's a trap which many people fall into, foolish and harmful desires. They plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He says there is another way to live. That in fact, if we are focused on wanting to get rich, eager for money, the love of money, our own success, to build our own kingdom, our own stuff, we're missing it. There's something far greater than that available. That in fact, when we you know, uh, pursue the stuff that makes us happy or serves ourselves, that eventually that stuff rots and is destroyed and doesn't go with us, and there's nothing that we can do. And in fact, I'm not saying that it's dumb for us to be smart about how we deal with our finances. I think, actually, when we start to live under our means and when we save in such a way that then allows us to be incredibly generous to God's kingdom, that is a very important step. What I'm not saying is go home and empty out your savings account and give it away. What I'm telling you is there's a point where you get to a place where you have enough and now you can leverage all of the extra that you have to serve in God's kingdom. In fact, what I would love to see is people who are so financially in such a strong place that they can give away money and it doesn't even hurt. It's a joy for them to say, this is not my God, this is not what I want, and I want to give this away to people who need it. That's what it looks like. He continues on in 1 Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I want that. Right? I want money to be such a non-issue that I can be as generous and feel joy when I give that away as, as possible. This is the life that James is talking about. He's saying, if you're focused on your own wealth or storing up for yourself things here, that is short-sighted and you're missing it. And in fact, Jesus talks about this and Paul talks about this. And essentially, it's one of those things that as we become disciples, we must master. It, either it will master us or we will master it. Okay, that is the, 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 the message that we're hearing from James is that we better master this or it'll master us. And then James goes on, he says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching, of what Paul is teaching, and of what James is getting at here. That in fact, there are three warnings here for rich people. One is unnecessary hoarding. Unnecessary hoarding. And I think in general, our world will tell us Fill up your bank account, fill up your garage, fill up your closet, fill up your home, fill up every single thing that you need in your world. And Jesus calls us to empty ourselves for his sake. He says, empty yourself for the sake of the kingdom. In Philippians 2, it tells us that Jesus emptied himself and he calls us to empty ourselves. So the question is, where are we putting our treasure? What are we investing in? What is important to us? And if you're not sure, there are ways to think about this and to ask the question, 
right? What is most important to me? Where is my heart in all this? What does this look like for me? Do I need to go home and sell my boat or give it to the pastor? I don't know. I cannot answer that question for you. Uh, I think there's a really simple concept that I I learned at some point um, that really helps me. Whenever I have anything that I think is really valuable or kind of ridiculous, you got to ask the question in a couple ways. Uh, And this is the easiest one for me. Do I need to release this thing or can I redeem this thing? Right? I've, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have two old Mustangs in your garage because those are sitting there rusting, rotting away in your garage, right? What I'm saying is, is there a way for you to redeem those things so that you can make a kingdom impact? I mean, why aren't you at the car show talking with people about Jesus? Why aren't you having a men's event in your garage? Right? Some of you guys have a giant house with an awesome pool in the backyard and whatever, but you're hidden in there. Why not open up your house and have groups meeting there, be inviting people into your home, be doing Bible study in that? Why not redeem the thing that God has given you? you? We have choices. We can either have things that own us, and if that's the case, we should release that thing. Maybe sell that thing and give that, give that money away to whatever God's doing, whatever kingdom activity you want to be supporting. Or redeem the thing that you have. It's not bad to have it, and it's not bad to be rich Right? There are plenty of stories in the, in the New Testament here of rich people investing in the kingdom, of making the ministry happen, of giving all kinds of wealth to the church out of their own pockets. It, their, their, uh, their priorities were in the right place. It's not bad to be rich. It is bad to let your wealth own you. It is bad to be hoarding unnecessarily money that you could use to support other people, other ministries, things that are going on. And if you have something, you should either be redeeming it or releasing it. Think about your cabin, right? Can you redeem that thing or does it need to be released? You know, the cars in the garage, the boat, the, the, the savings, the 401k. Some of us, we find all of our, uh, our trust in this world is actually in our retirement savings. That we're looking so forward to being done with all the, you know, the, the pace of what we're doing in life that we're essentially just putting our trust in what will someday come. And I want you to know, like, Jesus tells us we don't retire, right? Even when we retire from a job, we're still on mission as retired people. Can I get an amen from anybody who's retired here, right? No matter what, we're always asking the question, do I have too much? Does this make sense? Should I be using this for the kingdom? Do I need to release this and be investing in what God is doing? Is there a way for me to empty myself out the way that Jesus emptied himself out for this world? Or am I letting these possessions own me? Are they becoming my God? Are they becoming the thing that I put my faith in? Am I working my entire week just so I can get to the weekend on that boat? Am I working my entire year just so I can get to that cabin during the summertime? Right? Do these things start to become the things that uh, become our idols or become the things that we worship? Now listen. I think one thing that you should do is give me a week in your cabin. I think that would be a great way for you to redeem. Okay, never mind. All right. Counterproductive. James goes on. He says, look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So there's three warnings for the rich. The first one was unnecessary hoarding. The second one was unjust profiting. Right? And the prophets railed against this because in their day, there was essentially two classes of people. Right, There were people who had stuff who were rich in the eyes of all the, 
of all the people. And then there were sort of day laborers. And if a day laborer went out and worked and didn't get paid by the person who was, had something who was hiring them, who would promise them that they would be paid, then that person would go home and their children wouldn't eat that day. So there was a really high value, a justice issue, essentially, if you were somebody who had something and took advantage of people who had nothing in order to profit for yourself. This one is a, it's a little harder to apply today, but I think there are times in our lives where we cheat, where we cut corners, where we say, well, I'm not going to report that, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to pay up this thing. And we, in reality, are doing some of the same things that James is railing against. He's saying, if you profit unjustly, then you have a major problem in this area. That if you're willing to cheat, if you're willing to, you know, allow yourself to get rich on the backs of other people and take advantage of them in their situation, then this is something that is not an issue, uh, this is an issue of justice, and God will, will be very angry about this situation. Maybe instead of us being justice warriors on Twitter, we might just try to live out a life of justice, do things right, do things fairly, make sure that we take care of our obligations, right? We like to point the finger at other people, like there are these big CEOs and these corporations who are just making money off of our back, and in reality, we could point to ourselves and say, there are places where I need to take care of my obligations, where I need to make sure that I'm doing things fairly, where I need to make sure that I'm not cutting corners and not taking advantage of situations, but doing things in the right way, because everything we do shows something about who God is. And I think when people prefer others, when they invest in their well-being, when, they, when you're in the workplace and you do something that is not natural and you start to invest in other people and give away what you have and mentor others and put them in a place of success and start to raise up people around you to be successful in whatever industry you're in, you start to show what it looks like to be a servant leader the way that Jesus was. Don't get caught up in the rat race. Don't try to keep up with every single person. Do what is right and watch what God will do. Right? You want to go and figure out how this looks? Go and look at the life of Joseph. Every situation he was in, he did the honorable thing. He didn't cut corners. He treated everybody fairly. He did what was right. And God continued to elevate his position until he found a place where he was over everything except for just right underneath the Pharaoh. I mean, this is what God wants us to do, to be putting Jesus' servant nature on display in our workplaces every single day. Don't cheat, don't cut corners. That's a warning for us. He continues on at the end of the passage. He says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not even opposing you. Right? The third warning is of self-indulgence. Right? And you have to ask the question, who or what am I serving? I love, uh, you know, whatever you think about Dave Ramsey. I don't know. Some people love him. Some people think he's annoying. I don't know. Uh, one of the things that he always says is, I'll tell you what's important to you by taking a look at your bank account. And in fact, he can make a lot of judgments about what's really going on in your life and the things that are most important to you based on the priorities of how you are using the finances that you've been given to steward. There's a, a shift that comes here when you're a Christian where you go from saying, I have earned all of this to saying, God has given me all of this and asked me to steward this. 
You understand the difference in this thought process? It goes from a self-indulgent, a, a uh, prideful, I can do this, I can earn, to, man, look what God has given me and look what God has asked me to do with it. I get a chance to leverage the things that God has given me to then invest in the kingdom of God all around me. This is what it looks like to be fully submitted to Christ. And actually, oftentimes, the last, place, the last place someone is discipled is in their wallet. And in fact, they're willing to come to Jesus. They're willing to say, yes, I'll change this behavior. Yes, I'll do this thing. I'll start to read my Bible. I'll start to pray to God. I'll start to have this relationship with Jesus. I'll start to affect the people around me, invite them into it. And the last place often that is discipled in the United States of America in 2019 is in the wallet. Jesus is asking us to look at this differently and say, I haven't earned anything. This is not mine. This is God's. And I'm going to leverage this so that way God can receive glory from everything that I do in my life. I don't want to live in a self-indulgent way. I don't want to step back and be serving myself all the time. I want to leverage what I've got to make a difference in the world. Our kingdom mindedness is directly displayed in the way that we handle our finances. You're like, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe that's, that's not, I mean, we, we give, we do this, we do that. And, okay, so maybe the question is, really, what is the most important thing in your life? I know for me, uh, this was always a struggle, personally. I, for me, you know, my, my wife is an incredibly generous person. She probably gave you everything we've got, which ain't much, right? But I always struggled with giving, right, and making sure that I was responding to Jesus in the right way. For me, it was always a tight fist as I let it go, right? Like, there wasn't a joy in giving it away. I think for me, this changed. I, I sat down a couple years ago. I was, we were doing some financial stuff, and, and I was challenged to write down all of our expenses in a month. Now, I had done this many times. We understood what our expenses were. We understood what our budget looked like. But to write them all down in order based on how much they were. And so I started writing down, you know, okay, so here's, you know, housing and, you know, vehicles and insurance. And we started writing down every single priority in there. And then to look at where our giving was on that list was very eye-opening. If I said that this is a priority in my life, and then I listed all of these things, and it came in below some things that were not a priority in my life. I had to stop back and ask the question, like, do I worship this thing or this thing? Do I worship this thing or this thing? Right? Am I driving around what I should be giving in worship? Am I talking on what, well, I guess texting on? We don't talk anymore on these things, right? Like, where's my priority here? I think it shows something that's going on in our lives. The fact that we would potentially hoard unnecessarily, that we would profit unjustly, or that we would be self-indulgent. And that the call is to just look at things differently. Is to get to a place where we say, like, this isn't mine. This was given to me as shepherd. I want to take this, and I want to use this for God's kingdom. So the first thing I want to do is say, how do I leverage what I've got? All of my possessions, all of the money that I have, my life, the talents I have, the passions that I have, all the things... All these things line up, and I am truly submitted to Jesus when I am taking these things and investing them in his kingdom. I think this is a good time for us to have this conversation because so many of you are being incredibly sacrificial in your giving. 
By the way, it's not just giving to us. So many of you are being sacrificial and supporting missionaries all over the world and giving to your neighbors. You're doing things with your finances and your resources that are honoring to God. But there is a warning here for all of us to pay attention to make sure that we're continuing to do it. And I love what A.W. Tozer says when he says, you want to know what's most important in your life? Ask these four basic questions. Okay, so if you want to sit down and assess what's the most important thing in my life, how do I know what it is that I'm actually serving? Let me ask these four basic questions. What do we value most? Okay, sit down and answer the question. What do we value most? Ask the question, what would we most hate to lose? What would we most hate to lose? The next question, what do our thoughts turn to most frequently when we are free to think of whatever we will? And finally, what affords us the greatest pleasure? Based on those four questions, what is your treasure? How submitted to Jesus is your life? Because I think there's always room for us to be more submitted. There's always a a chance for us to be more generous with the stuff that we have. And when we do that, we fight the self-indulgent, self-serving nature which causes us to gather up stuff and to hoard and to profit from it and to unjustly find wealth in a way that doesn't honor God just so that we can be self-indulgent. We have to fight that. Otherwise, we fall into this trap that James is writing. And it's not easy. It's uncomfortable to talk about, to be honest with you. Probably squirming a little bit listening to it. This isn't necessarily a question of money. It's a question of submission to Jesus. Right? It's my thing. It's my stuff. I've earned this. I did this. It's for me. That's not the way that God wants us to look at things that we have. Everything that we have has been given to us by him. Everything that we have is a chance to leverage for someone else. Everything that we have is a chance for us to live in sacrifice to self so that we can serve the greater kingdom that is all around us that God is building. Like I said, I'm not going to ask you to give a whole bunch of money to the church. We're doing great. But I want, to, I want you to answer the question, am I submitted to Jesus? Is there places in my life where I need to continue to be submitted and to be submitted even further than I am right now? And so ask these questions. Decide where you are with Christ. And let's not let each other fall into that self-indulgent trap that the devil would love to spring in all of our lives. Let me pray. Jesus, help us see everything we have as a gift from you. Help us to think about everything we have as a chance to release it for the kingdom or redeem it for the kingdom. Help us to be thinking about where you are in our list of priorities. God, help us to know what it looks like to continue to move you up that list, to continue to be fully submitted to you in everything that we do. Jesus, challenge us. Show us where we are convicted of the very same thing that James is pointing out. Help us to see what it looks like to leverage the wealth and the richness that we have received in this, in this country, in this world, and how we can leverage that so that we build your kingdom. God, I pray that the decisions that we make would make a difference in our workplaces, that it would make a difference in our, in our families, that we would be able to be incredibly generous and to give everything away with joy because we get a chance to serve uh, a God who loves the people all around us. 
Would you use us, even sometimes in spite of ourselves? In Jesus' name, amen.